take out your Bibles this morning, your mobile devices, whatever you choose to use, and turn to Genesis chapter 39. It's on page 17 if you may be using one of the Bibles you picked up when you uh, came in this morning. We are continuing our, our series um, called Beginning Stories in Genesis, and we're finishing out this series this month in September. Right up to the first October, and then the first Sunday in October, of course, will be our friend day. We'll start a new series, four weeks called Why? And we're finishing up with one of the most incredible stories and one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, the story of Joseph. And we started Joseph's life and story and journey last Sunday, and I've entitled this A Dream, a Desert, and a Destiny. As we look at this, the, the, the progression and journey of, of Joseph's life. And when we met Joseph uh, last week and we started looking at his story, you know, Joseph came on the scene as a 17-year-old kid and God gave him a dream. And it was a God-sized dream. We know that because it was something that only God could orchestrate in Joseph's life. And, and we know it was a God-sized dream because at the end of the story, the dream he has comes true. And he has this incredible dream and, and destiny of his life that God is going to put him in some place of of leadership and prominence and influence and he shares that dream with his 11 older brothers or 10 older brothers and uh, they were real excited about this dream weren't they they were like oh that's great that we're going to bow down to you someday Joseph no they were ticked they were mad and his dad you know Jacob loved him and favored him and he'd given him the coat of many colors and so I mean his brothers were already upset about that and then he shares this dream of how that he's going to rule over him someday and then things go from a God-sized dream and destiny to uh, his brothers planning to get rid of him and they throw him into a pit and they sell him into slavery and so we started last week seeing a Joseph with this God-sized dream and destiny but we ended with Joseph being sold into slavery going down to a desert place uh, to Egypt to become a slave and as we look as I said last week at Joseph's story we can insert our lives into his story and we can identify with so many of the things that happened on his journey because we believe that God has a God-sized dream and destiny for all of our lives if you believe that say yes God's got a plan and a purpose and a dream and destiny for your life but between the dream and the destiny there can often be a long desert if you ever been in the long desert say yes and maybe you feel that way right now I'm sure a lot of people in our state feel that way but it's in that long desert period getting from the dream to the destiny that learning takes place that preparation takes place Joseph didn't realize it, but God enrolled him in, in a school, the school of learning, and, and God had some very valuable lessons during that desert time of Joseph's life, as God has many valuable lessons and puts us in school during the desert times of our life as well. <coughs> excuse me. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, <coughs> excuse me, how many of you, be honest, you loved going to school you you loved going to school you, your grades came easy raise your hand high don't be shy raise your hands high okay we got the school superintendent here he'll be happy to see this okay raise your hand high you you love school made good grades raise them up again nice and high raise them up okay you guys stink okay <laughs> how many of y'all like me struggled through school i tell you you know what my favorite subject in school was recess that was my favorite subject in school. Um, I, went, I did go off to college. I did graduate high school, praise God. My parents wondered at times, but I made it through. And then I went off to college, and I worked really hard when I was in college. I crammed four years of college into seven and a half years. <laughs> Changed my major three times. Finally did what God called me to do and, and went to Bible college seminary, went to, to Bible school, and went into ministry. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't like school. 
I did not enjoy it. I didn't like it. I didn't like college. I mean, I just wanted to be done. But I was glad when I was finished. I was glad when I got that diploma in high school. I was glad when I got that degree, you know, and all of the, the hard times and the learning and studying. And, 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 you know, it didn't come easy for me. I had to really work at it, you know, because I like to play too much. You know, I know you guys be surprised by that. But I, I had to really work hard. And, and I didn't enjoy school at the time, but I look back and I appreciate my time in school, my time in college, my learning, my, my degree. And the same, I think, is true in our lives spiritually when God allows us to go through those long desert periods of life where it's dry and we go through trials and tribulations and God puts us through a time of learning. And, and we don't always enjoy it at the time, but we can look back on those times and go, you know what, that's when God taught me some of the most valuable lessons in my faith and my life. If you've been there, say yes. And we're going to see today that Joseph learned some very valuable lessons in the desert. And so do we. When you're in the desert, there's four lessons that you learn that Joseph learned that we're going to look at today. You have them in your notes. If you'll take them out, you're going to want to write these down. Here's some valuable lessons we learn as we go through the desert just like Joseph. Number one, when you're in the desert, you learn to stay faithful. You learn the importance of staying faithful. Let's begin in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to where, church? To Egypt, which was the desert. He was in the desert literally and spiritually and figuratively. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who his uh, brother sold him to. This man named Potiphar bought him, who had taken him, uh, him down there. But the Lord was with Joseph. Everyone say that. The Lord was with Joseph. Yeah, that changes everything, doesn't it? To know that when you're going through those desert periods of time, the Lord is still with you and the Lord was with Joseph. Even though it had seemed that his dream was turning into a nightmare, the Lord was with him and had a plan and purpose for this time. And he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He, his, his master was Potiphar. And this man Potiphar was, was like the right-hand man of Pharaoh, the ruler, the king of the entire land. And he's working in his house. He, he purchased Joseph for this and he was successful and verse 3 says and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand I hope people around us in our life can see that the Lord is with us because Potiphar saw this in Joseph even though he wasn't a believer verse 4 so Joseph found favor in his master's sight and he served him then he made him overseer in charge of all of his house and all that he had put under his authority so it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. That's how much he trusted Joseph. Now at this point in Joseph's life, he's in the desert. But, and it's not a question of God's faithfulness to Joseph. It's a question of Joseph's faithfulness to God. And to his master, Potiphar. And Joseph had every reason, humanly speaking, to have a bad attitude. I mean, he had been betrayed by his own brothers. He'd been sold into slavery. He had been stripped of his coat. He, was, he had been mistreated. He had been taken down to the desert. He's away from everybody. He could have been tempted to quit or give up. I mean, no one else is with him. His family's not with him. His friends are not with him. He's in a foreign land. And you talk about a bad job. If I were to ask you, don't raise your hand. Your boss might be here. But how many of you think, man, I got a bad job? I got, my job stinks. It's not as bad as Joseph's. 
Try being a slave. That's a bad job. No pay, no benefits, nobody to complain to. And he had every reason in the world to feel sorry for himself, but he doesn't. Instead, he makes the best of the opportunity and he serves and he works hard. He does the best job he can and it's noticed by his master because he's faithful. He's faithful to God and he's faithful to his master, Potiphar, instead of making excuses and feeling sorry for himself. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul addresses this and he says it this way, Work willingly at whatever you do. Whatever you do, work willingly as though you were working for who, church? For the Lord rather than for people. Joseph was able to stay faithful and work hard because he ultimately understood his boss wasn't Potiphar. His boss and master was God. And when you have that attitude, it changes everything. Colossians uh, verse 24 says, Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. Even though he's a slave and he's not getting paid, God's going to have a reward for him. And that the master you are serving is who, church? It's Christ. And this was an important part of Joseph's life and journey because remember, Joseph was the favored, spoiled son of his father Jacob. And remember we saw last week when all the brothers were out in the field and they were working, where was Joseph? He was at home with daddy in his fat coat, being cool. God's teaching him, if you're going to be a leader someday and you're going to arrive at your destiny and dream that I have for your life, Joseph, you got to learn to work. you got to learn to be faithful. This is all part of God's plan and preparation for Joseph's life. And it may be for some of yours as well. You know, to people, there's a lot of people today that want a job. But there's not a lot of people today that want to work. And if you're a boss, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A lot of people want a job, but a lot, not a lot of people want to work. Joseph was willing to work. He was willing to work hard and, and get ahead. And his master saw that and he rose to, to the, the top in his house because of his good work ethic and his faithfulness. You know, every once in a while, because of the size of our church now, we, we have a lot of business owners in our church and supervisors in our church and, and people in, in positions of authority and, and hiring. And, and we'll sometimes have people in our church say, hey, do you know anyone in Orchard Church that might be looking for a job that you could refer you know, and, and I, I would hope that when we were able to do that, that we would have a reputation here at Orchard Church that, hey, if you want to hire good, faithful, hardworking, dependable employees, look at people in Orchard Church. Because they understand they're working for God, not just for an employer. I'll tell you what, I've, I've been at jobs, secular jobs in my life, and there were other people at that job that called themselves Christians. I wish they would not have told anybody that. Because they had the worst stinky attitudes. They showed up late. They didn't work hard. Joseph wasn't that person. Joseph had every reason to make, just feel sorry for himself. But he, be, he was faithful. He remained faithful. He learned to be faithful. And he worked hard. I love this quote from Thomas Edison. He said this, Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in over, overalls and it looks like work. Isn't that great? I love that statement. Man, you need to memorize that. And you know, remember what Jesus said? If you're faithful over the little things and a few things, then I'll make, I'll make you ruler over many things. That's the story of Joseph's life. He was faithful. I, I see people, they complain about the little things they have to do. Listen, your boss and employers and supervisors are not going to trust you with more if you can't be faithful with what you've been given. Most of the time, it's just a test to see, can I just, will they just show up on time? Will they be here? Will they be faithful? And this was a character building time for Joseph. It was an integrity building time. It was showing whether he would be consistent and trustworthy and faithful, and he was. In those desert times of our life, church, will we learn to remain faithful? 
Not just to our job and our employer, but to God, to our marriage, to our family, to our kids. Are we, when we go through those desert times, will we give into the temptation to go, oh, I'm going to feel sorry for myself and I'm going to make excuses for myself. I've said this over and over. When you go through the desert and trials and tribulations in your life, People that are going through the difficulties in Colorado right now, one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to get bitter or they're going to get better. God wants us to get better. And one way we get better is to learn to be faithful in those desert times of life, just like Joseph, knowing that God will reward our faithfulness. So during the desert times of our life, first of all, number one, we learn the lesson like Joseph, learn to stay faithful. Number two, the second lesson that we need to learn during the desert times of life, is we need to learn to overcome temptation. Now, I know none of you probably are ever tempted by anything, but if you ever face temptations, this next part of Joseph's story is for, for you. If, if, whatever the temptation is, those things that you're tempted to do that you know God would not be pleased with. Sometimes it's temptations to not do something we should be doing. And sometimes it's being tempted to do something we know God would not be pleased with according to his word. And as... Joseph is in the desert like all of us we're very vulnerable in the desert it's a time when we're weak we're alone we're tempted to get bitter instead of better and we know that we have an enemy Satan the Bible says that he's like a roaring lion going and seeking who he may devour and you know who the lion goes after the weak the weak and Joseph could be very weak at this point in his life if he allowed himself to be and Joseph is about to face the greatest temptation and decision of his entire life. What we're about to read in Joseph's life is an absolute crossroads in his life that could make or break God's destiny and dream coming true. And it has to do with how he deals with temptation. Let's pick it up in verse 6 and watch what happens in the story. The end of verse 6 it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He was, ha- yeah, someone's like, woo, I heard you. He was handsome in form and appearance. Now, some of you wish that could be said of you. But can I be honest with you? There's a downside. When you're handsome in form and appearance, people want to get you naked. (laughs) They do. It's biblical. You're going to see it right here. You know, there's some benefits to being the middle-aged heavy ball plumber. (laughs) No one wants to see him naked. People's goal is keep clothes on him. And, and Joseph is described as this handsome, in form and appearance, young man. At this point, he's probably in his late 20s. He's the only man in the Bible that's described with this language. There's only one other person that this same language is used, handsome, in form and appearance. And it was described about a lady, her name was Rachel, who was the mother of Joseph. And she passed on her good looks to her son, Joseph. I mean, this is, he is the stud of the Bible. I mean, if you're looking for the Brad Pitt, Channing Tatum, Tim Tebow of the Bible, it's Joseph. That's, that's who it is. I mean, and as we're about to see, Potiphar's wife sees Joseph and she's like, that is one hunk of hunk of Hebrew meat right there. <laughs> if you'll study this in the Hebrew text, you'll see that. It's in there. We translated it a little bit differently. Verse 7, watch what happens. To this handsome young man. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, were never given her name, cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me, Joseph. And she was not asking for him to take a nap with her. (laughs) Now, remember, he's a slave. He can't sue her. He can't scream sexual harassment. He can't quit. 
He's a slave, and in that culture, 4,000 years ago in Egypt, it was very common and expected that the slaves would do sexual favors for their masters. And she's taking advantage of this. She, she is the epitome of the Proverbs chapter 7, seductress, immoral woman you read about in Proverbs 7. And she is going after him, and she is going to aggressively go after him sexually, like a lot of ladies can be today. And this is going to be a defining moment in Joseph's life. It's going to test his character, integrity, his faith, his trustworthiness. And Joseph knew to say no to her, there would be definite consequences, one way or the other. And it would have been so easy for him to be tempted as a young man to go, you know what? I'm all alone. I need to have some fun. You know, I, I deserve this. Who's going to see? Who's going to know? But let's look, see what happens. What does Joseph do after she makes this proposal? Verse 8. Say these three words with me. But he refused. Say that again with me. But he refused. He didn't, he said, he didn't say, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Can we at least go to lunch first? It says, but he refused. You know, a lot of times, especially when I'm talking to men, but it can apply to ladies as well. You know, men that are dealing with, with sexual temptations, and that's their Achilles heel, which is most men. And they'll ask for verses in the Bible. Give me some verses in the Bible that I can memorize so when I'm sexually tempted, I can quote them. And you know, sometimes men are like, oh, it's hard to memorize. I got a real easy verse for you men to memorize the next time you face sexual temptation. Are you ready? You can memorize it right now. But he refused. If you can just remember that about Joseph's story, it can help you next time you are tempted in this way like Joseph. But he refused. Verse 9, or going on verse 8, it says, And he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he is committed, he's trusted all that he has to my hand. He, he trusts me. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. And why has he kept you from me? Because you are his wife. You're not my wife. You're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against who, church? Sin against God. He recognized what the Bible says, that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. He says, not only would this be dishonoring to Potiphar, my master who's been so good to me, but it would be ultimately dishonoring to my ultimate master who is God. And even if nobody else knows and nobody else sees, God sees. And God knows. And that was his attitude that changed everything Verse 10 says, so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. She didn't give up trying to tempt him. That he did not heed her to lie with her or even to be with her. To be around her. He'd be like, is she in the house? If she's in the house, I'm not going to the house. If she's in the yard, I'm going to the house. I mean, he's doing everything to stay away from her as she day by day is trying. I mean, this wasn't a one-time proposition. It's like our sex-crazed society today. We face sexual temptations day by day, hour by hour. And that's what Joseph was facing. And he said, I, I'm not even going to put myself in the place to give into this temptation. He, he applied what Paul said in Ephesians 4.27, don't give opportunity to the devil and to the flesh. He, he applied Romans 13.14 that says, make no provision for the flesh. He, he did everything he could to stay away, as far as away as he could, from Potiphar's wife and this sexual temptation. I know men who have had to quit their job to avoid a woman like this. I'd rather quit my job than destroy my life and my marriage and my family. 
And Joseph is going to go to drastic measures to avoid this temptation. But it happened about this time, verse 11, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were inside. I mean, and she probably had orchestrated this, sent all everybody else out into the field, and she's moving in for the kill now. That she caught him by his garment saying, Joseph, lie with me. And you know she was beautiful. I mean, if Potiphar, one of the second highest rulers in the land, has this wife, he had the pick of the litter. I mean, this was probably a beautiful woman. But he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he ran outside. The Puritans say it this way, he lost his coat, but he kept his character. I mean, he, she grabs him by the coat, and he runs, and he just, he's like, I'm going to get as far away from this as I can. He did what Paul told young Timothy to do in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lust, and he literally fled, and he literally ran. And sometimes that's what we have to do. And, and what did he say, you know, his, his mindset was this, Potiphar, my master is counting on me. God, my master is counting on me. He's got a God-sized dream and destiny for my life. And if I give into this, I could completely mess everything up. And I would suggest to all of you, men and ladies, that there are people that are counting on you. Your spouse is counting on you to be faithful. Your kids are counting on you to be faithful. Your friends who respect you right now are counting on you to be faithful. The people you disciple, the people you influence, the people you work around, one wrong decision like this can destroy your life and your testimony in a moment that you've taken years to build up. And most importantly, God is counting on us as believers to live according to the word of God that sexual relations are for a husband and wife inside of the covenant of marriage. And Joseph knew this and he understood this. And he was able to over, learn to overcome temptation. Man, I'll tell you, you want to read a story and over and over about learning to overcome temptation. Just follow what Joseph did right here. It's incredible. Because in the desert, like Joseph, not only do we learn to stay faithful, we need to learn to overcome temptation. And number three, we're in, we're in the desert times of our life. There's another lesson we need to learn. We need to learn to Wait. Y'all are getting uncomfortable, aren't you? You know why? Because we hate to wait. It makes us uneasy. It makes us uncomfortable. You, you, you didn't even like writing that down, did you? Learn to wait. Oh, I knew that was coming again. In all these stories, when we're going through challenges in our Christian life, most of the time, part of what it includes is being patient and waiting. And Joseph had to learn to wait, as we'll see throughout this story I'll remind you again, it's 23 years between God's dream and God's destiny being fulfilled. 23 years of Joseph having to wait. He learned to wait in the desert. Watch this, verse 13. And so, and so it was, when she saw, Potiphar's wife, saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house. Now she wants them inside and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. Now she's, make, she's completely flipped her attitude. He came in to, lie, to me to lie with me and I cried out in a loud voice. Do you see how she's flipped this story around? She's now blaming all of this on Joseph. And she makes up this big lie. 
Verse 15, and it happened when she's t- trying to tell this story from her angle now. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and he fled and he went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. This would be Potiphar. Then he, she spoke to him with words like these saying, Ooh, the Hebrew, you can just hear her. The Hebrew servant whom you brought. Now she's blaming her husband. You brought to us, came into me to mock me. You know what she's crying? She's crying rape. She's crying rape. She's putting all this on Joseph. So what happened is I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and he fled outside. So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. I mean, he believes her. It's his wife. He believes her story and he's mad. You can imagine. Then Joseph's master took him and he put him into prison. Man, Joseph's desert was tough. We left off last time. He's in a pit, sold into slavery. Now he's in prison for doing what was right. A place where the king's prisoners were confined. Did you hear that? A place where the king's prisoners were confined. That was part of the providence of God. We'll see that as we move forward in the story. And he was there in prison. But, how many times have I told you, church, but is one of the best words in the Bible. But, the Lord was with Joseph, even in the prison and what had happened, and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor, now in the sight of the keeper of the prison. He's like, this guy is smart, this guy is intelligent, this guy is, has character, integrity. Everywhere he goes, people notice that. Can that be said of us? And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. You know you're a trustworthy guy when you're in prison and the master gives you the keys to the prison. You know you can be trusted. He's like, I trust you with all these other prisoners. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. I mean, this, this keeper of the prison was able to like, you know, shoot hoops, watch TV, and eat Doritos. Because Joseph was taking care of everything. He had that much trust. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. But yet he's still in the desert. And he's still in prison. Most scholars believe that at this point, he will be in prison for about 13 years. And this was no Martha Stewart's cupcake prison. I mean, this was a prison in Egypt 4,000 years ago. Later in the story, Joseph will describe it as a dungeon. And he has to wait. You know, people, there are some people that today they'll say, you know, if you accept Christ and be faithful to him, everything in life will be great and everything will be perfect and you'll never face any problems ever again. Tell that to Joseph. Tell that to Paul. Tell that to some of the choice people of the Bible who had to wait for God's fulfillment in their life. You know, the good guys do win in the end. I mean, I've read the end of this book. We do win in the end, amen? But it sometimes takes time. We have to wait for it. We have to wait for it. And Joseph is gonna learn once again to wait. And listen, church, we have to decide like Joseph. Do we want to have an easy life or an obedient life? Do we want an easy life or an obedient life? Because God will bless an obedient life eventually. Do you believe that? He will bless an obedient life eventually. 
The destiny will come. The dream will be fulfilled. But you have to wait. It takes time. 23 years for Joseph. 13 years in this prison. And this prison would be a school where Joseph would once again learn to wait on the Lord. And that the Lord would renew his strength. And one day he would mount up with wings like eagles. And the dream and the destiny would be fulfilled. Joseph learned something I've told you guys many times. And you have it in your notes. God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. We just have to wait on the Lord and his timing. And Joseph clung to God's dream and destiny for his life. And he believed it and he was willing to wait. And we too must cling to the promises of God. I quoted it last week, I'll quote it again. I mean, if you want a, a verse of hope, it's Jeremiah 29, 11. The Lord says, I, says this, the Lord says, I, I have a hope and a future for you. I, I know the thoughts that I think for, towards you. Thoughts of peace and not disaster. I have a dream and I have destiny for your life. There's a hope and there's a future, but it's a future. It may not be right now. Some of you right now may be in a desert time of your life, a desert time of your finances, a desert time of your health, a desert time of your marriage, a desert time with your kids. But will you wait on the Lord like Joseph? Will you wait on his timing, believing there is a destiny, there is a dream to be fulfilled, there is a future, there is a hope? We are people of hope, amen? And hope in the Bible is not like the words hope we use today. We say, oh, I hope it'll not rain today. Probably will. You know, we, we hope the Broncos win. We hope they do. We don't know for sure. We believe they will. Amen? That should have been a big amen right there. <laughs> Golly, I set you up perfectly. But biblically, you see, our hope, the way we use hope today, it's not a, we're not sure. We hope, we hope it happens, but we're not sure. But in the Bible, the hope we have in Jesus Christ is for sure. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. But we might have to wait for it. And what do we do while we're waiting? Okay, I'm waiting for God. I'm learning to wait on God for something in my life. I've been waiting years. I've been praying. So what do we do while we wait? Okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. No, no, Joseph wasn't just sitting around on his hands. What was he doing while he was waiting? What do we see in this story? He was being faithful. He was serving other people. He was serving his master. He was serving the prisoners. He was serving in Potiphar's house. You know, you go to a restaurant. You know what waiters do? They serve. You know what we do as people of God when we're waiting? We serve. We serve God. We serve others. We stay faithful. And we wait for God's timing. And I've always noticed this in the desert times of my life, and hopefully you notice them in yours. God, even in the desert times, will give us little pats on the back. We may, maybe we don't see the full fulfillment yet of the destiny and the dream, but he'll do little things to encourage us. You can see through this story, God was patting Joseph on the back, letting him know, I'm still here, by advancing in Potiphar's house, by advancing in the prison. You know, he, he, these are little encouragements along the way where God's saying, I know you're waiting, but hang in there. I'm here. I'll be here. There's a glimmer of hope. There's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not an oncoming train. Just wait. Just wait. When we're in the desert like Joseph, there's lessons to be learned. We have to learn to stay faithful. We have to learn to overcome temptation. We have to learn to wait. And finally, number four, we have to learn to trust. We have to learn to trust. Watch what happens next. Joseph is in this prison and this, I love this part of the story. This is really good for one guy and really bad for another. Chapter 40, 
Joseph is going to learn to trust. And it came to pass, after these things, now we read that, we jump from chapter 39 to 40 and we go, okay, after these things. That, that after these things is about a 10, 10 year, these things, 10 or 11 years. He's been in prison. And after about 11 years in prison, something happens. And it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the world at this time, that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. The butler was the one that made the pastries and the breads, and, or excuse me, the baker was. The butler was the one was called, the, some of your Bibles may say, the cupbearer. And the butler's job was to pour the wine for the king, for the Pharaoh, taste it, make sure that it was good wine, and also make sure that it wasn't poisonous wine. That was a great job until the one bad day. You would only know once that it's poisoned. Then they need a new butler. And so for some reason, Pharaoh is upset with his butler and his baker. And if Pharaoh is angry with the two, his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where who? Oh, look at this. Where Joseph was confined. Are you seeing the providential hand of God? He's doing something here. I mean, these guys were right next to Pharaoh. And had influence in his life. Now we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what the butler and the baker did to tick off the Pharaoh. I mean we don't know. Did the baker decide to put Pharaoh on some low carb Atkins diet? It's like you can't have any more bread this week or for a while. I mean what, what, what did the butler do? Did he start serving cheap $3 wine from 7-Eleven? You know, we, we don't know. But the Pharaoh's like you know no pastries, cheap wine. Someone's going to die right there. That's all it takes. And he puts him in prison. Verse 4 says, And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, because all the prisoners were under his care, and he, what did he do? Served them. He served them. He's serving. There he is. And so they were in custody for a while. We don't know how long. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream. Oh, Joseph knows something about dreams. They had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation of the dream. And Joseph came into them in the morning, and he looked at them, and he saw that they were sad. Now, we, I just want you to see the details of this story. Joseph not only served these people, he cared about them. He cared about them. And he's like, what's, what's wrong, guys? Why, why are you sad? And so he asked Pharaoh's officer who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we each have had a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. We don't know how to interpret this dream. So Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God? He humbly, he's not like, oh, I can tell you. He's like, no, God can tell you. But then he says, tell them to me, please. See, Joseph knows God, who is the interpreter of dreams. Now listen, not all dreams are from God. Some are from Taco Bell, McDonald's, late night chili. But some dreams, I believe, are from God. I was talking to a lady in our church, a single lady, just last week. She had told me about this dream she had, and she's like, what do you make of this? And basically, in the story, there was a lot of details, but the main detail was this, that she met this godly man, and she respected, and I said, well, you know, I think there's one thing we can interpret from that dream. God wants you to find a godly man that loves God. And she's like, yeah, I agree with that. And so God, God, God's given this dream to the butler and the baker, and Joseph's going to interpret it. Now watch what happens, verse 9. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, now this is the cupbearer, the butler, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though its, it, 
It budded, and its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Now remember, he was the butler. He poured the wine, the cup, for Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of your dream. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. That means putting back into a place of power. And, and responsibility and restore you to your place and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner that you used to do when you were his butler. But look at what verse 14 says. And Joseph said, but remember me. When you're right next to the most powerful man in the land, Pharaoh, remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, which was really a prison, for indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. Notice he doesn't blame his brothers. He just says he's stolen. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. And what is Joseph doing? He's putting his trust in this butler that when you are restored, that you'll tell Pharaoh and maybe I can get out of here. And he's saying, listen, I, I'm going to trust you. I'm helping you by telling you your dream. Now you help me. Now the baker's watching all this take place and he's like, well that went pretty good for the butler. That was pretty cool, man. He's going to get his job back. You know, he went first. I, 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 want to, I want him to try it on me now. I want him to interpret my dream. He's like, you know, that went, that went well for the butler, so let's see what happens for the, for the baker. And then when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good for the butler, he said to Joseph, I also was in a dream. Oh, I've got a dream too. And there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods. This would make sense because he's the baker. For Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, Now Joseph is a very honest man. He's going to speak the truth. So Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. And you can just see the baker. Yeah, yeah. And within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you. There's a difference between lifting up your head and lifting off your head. <laughs> this is a different interpretation. He says, within three days, Pharaoh's going to lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Bummer you. <laughs> He's probably sorry he asked at this point. He's like, why can't I have the butler's dream? What is that? This is hilarious. Not for the baker, but for us. Now it, it's crazy. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. This is the only time in the Bible we see somebody celebrating a birthday. I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating birthdays. Just don't do it like this. Watch what Pharaoh does. He's celebrating his birthday. He made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the ch chief baker among the servants. So he, he put them both back to their positions for just a little bit. One's baking and one's bringing the cup. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. That must have been one bad birthday cake that the baker made for the Pharaoh for him to go to such measures. I mean, can you just hear the baker? He's like, Pharaoh, but I made you a cake. But I made you a noose. I mean, this is... This is rough stuff here. And it comes true. Just like Joseph interpreted. 
Verse 23, yet the chief butler, remember the request he made? He trusted the butler that when he got restored, he would tell Pharaoh about him. Remember that? Yet the chief butler did not, did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. He forgot him. And he remained in prison. But can I tell you this, church? The chief butler may have forgotten Joseph, but God had not forgotten Joseph. And God has not forgotten you and I in the desert. He trusts in a man. He trusts in a person. If Joseph made an error, it was right here. That he trusts in a person instead of completely just trusting and waiting on God. I've said this before. The one thing you can always count on with people, you can't always count on people. But aren't you thankful you can always count on God? And when everybody else lets you down and when everybody else betrays you and everybody else abandons you and everybody else forgets, God does not forget you. God does not forget. Satan loves to whisper in our ear when we're in the desert times of life and we feel betrayed and abandoned and alone. God's forgotten you. He's busy with other people. He doesn't even know what's going on in your life. Or he gets you out of this. You can't trust him. Why don't you just take matters in your own hands? Why don't you make something happen? That's kind of what Joseph is doing here. Instead of trusting and waiting on God. I found this verse last week. Man, this is, this is powerful. Psalm 146.3, it says this. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. Joseph tried. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He keeps every promise forever. And everybody said... Is that an awesome verse or what? We're going to see next time in Joseph's story that God has not forgotten Joseph. And the truth is his dream and destiny are just around the corner. It's coming soon. He's just got to learn to trust God a little bit longer. And as we read this story, you know, not only was this a story of learning, but this was a story and a time of preparation in the desert for Joseph. It was a time for discipleship, where he's growing in his relationship with the Lord. It was a time for discipline, as he's learning character and integrity and trust and faithfulness. It was a time of development. God's developing him to be a leader as he's put in charge in in Potiphar's house, and he's put in charge in the prison, and he's learning leadership and organization. You can just see the hand of God as we walk watch the story it's all part of God's plan and and humanly speaking at this point you read the story and it looks like Joseph is poor but he's the richest person in Egypt because he has the presence of God in his life over and over it says but the Lord was with him the Lord was with him it looks like he's a slave but he's one of the freest people in Egypt because he belongs to God It looks like Joseph's life as he's left and forgotten in prison. It looks like his life has ended, but as you're going to see, it's just beginning. And for some of you, you may feel like your life is about to end and it's just beginning. And in the desert, Joseph learned to trust God even when he could not trace God. He learned to wait on God. He learned to overcome temptation. He learned to remain faithful. And Paul said this in Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before These Old Testament stories we're reading in Genesis, whatever things were written before were written for our what, church? Learning. Everybody say learning. They were written for our learning. We can watch Joseph's life. We can insert our lives and be on this journey and we can identify with so many of these things and we can learn from his life these lessons when we go through the same things in our life in the desert periods. Therefore, our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have Hope. 
that we might have hope. The question is, will we learn these lessons as well as we're facing the desert times in our life? Will we hold on to the dream and the destiny that God has for our life? Will we learn to be faithful? Will we learn to overcome temptation? Will we learn to wait and will we learn to trust like Joseph? Would you bow your heads this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed?